not so much the neutral zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. Welcome to season two. Yay! Which for Kim means that we only have two more seasons to suffer through and that I am sad that we only have (laughs) two more seasons. I suffer. Oh, poor Kareen. I am excited. I am your host, Kareen, joined by the fabulous Kim. Hello. And the OK Ari. Oh, I've been promoted. You've been upgraded because it's season two. (laughs) I am willing this week as well to give you a pretty good because you went shopping for me in Toronto. (laughs) Damn right I did. Also, this (laughs) this week's episode is Amok Time. I know. So welcome to episode one, season two, Amok Time or Reproduction, reproduction. Oh, Do you that. even know what the pistol does? <laughs> reproduction, reproduction. Not the song I was expecting, but on the same theme. My yeah. alternate was a reference to the amazing Halloween film. What is it? Is with Bette Midler. Hocus Pocus? The greatest Halloween film of all mm. time, which was to go, amok, 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 amok. I was half expecting Let's Talk About Sex. Oh, no. That's been done. Oh, okay. No. Why go with that when you could go with a Wicked Grease 2 reference? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the most Vulcan episode of all the Vulcan episodes where we get all the Vulcan things. The hand salute, the live long and prosper, to pow, to bring. Many, many bells jangled menacingly. I was thinking of them more like tambourines. How is that a tambourine? It's on a string. There's it actually... It was an on. inverted tambourine. No, yeah. no, no. There's an actual... Actual instrument. closet. I'm thinking of either a Mendoza or a Scrabalai, which is a Lithuanian folk instrument, which is essentially what this is. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of either of those. No. I saw a uh, concert. It was either a Mahler piece or a Beethoven piece where they had essentially just like a whole bunch of bells on a stick and they would just kind of... Shake them? Not shake, but also stomp it. Essentially what they're doing in this. This also introduces the fabu fight music that we will hear forever, that is forever associated with fighting on Star Trek by Gerald Freed, which is our combat music. I think that's also our first Spock theme. It's great music, though. It is. It is good. Very, very good music. Yeah, this episode hits a lot of kind of like classic original series points. And this was actually supposed to be part of the season one lineup. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because essentially NBC took a look at this and by far and large, Spock was the most popular character. Oh, yeah. I cannot understand it. I don't see why. Because he's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. He's all right. So, and people were fascinated by the character. They wanted to know more about the background of the aliens, but the writer, which was Sturgeon, did not write fast enough. Oh, yes. He was notoriously slow. He was notoriously very, very, very slow, so they had to shelve it for the second season. Again, Spock, tragically more popular than Kirk. No, not tragically. You would have been one of those Spock girls swarming around, wearing fake ears. Oh, he's so misunderstood. You must really like Chapel. I love Chapel. Although, to be fair, Chapel is Mendel Barrett. I don't find any fault with her performance. I think she does well. I hate Nurse Chapel. I have no time for her at all. Really? Yeah. I do not find her an interesting character because essentially she's there to moon after Spock. 
Well, she also is yeah, there to yell at Bones. Yeah, whatever. Hey, someone has to yell at Bones. Mostly he yells at her. Mostly because she's busy mooning over Spock. She has nothing else to do. She provides nothing. She makes him soup. She has other That's people right. to look That's soup for the first time. Yeah, plumbing soup. <laughs> I'm so happy for both of you. <laughs> I really like this episode. Yeah. Because it's all about the Vulcans. And I love Vulcans. Yeah, we figured... Yeah, we kind of bet that you would enjoy this episode. And I didn't hate it either. It, I think it's actually one of the better Star Trek I love episodes. this episode. Yeah, I love this episode. Um, and I also love this episode because it's such like a, it's such a foundational episode for Vulcans as like a culture. Mm-hmm. And we get to look at like, we get to look at their homeworld and we get to look at like other Vulcans. And their scribalize. It's yes. also, um, and very appropriate as the premiere of season two, it very strongly expresses the, like the holy trio of original yes. tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the friendship and it's all about them being greater than the sum of their parts. Like, together they are an unstoppable force that not even logic can come between. <laughs> yes, it's very good. And, okay, I'm also not gonna lie, we had a couple of days delay in recording this episode. I filled that time by watching a bunch of other episodes about Vulcan weddings and Ponfar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, this morning, I definitely watched the uh, Voyager episode Blood Fever on VHS. Kim? That I taped wow, off TV. Kim. In the 90s. You keep the Blood Fever VHS behind your television at all times, just in case, don't you? It's actually in a side drawer in one of my end a tables. With drawer? the rest of her porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the Bloodsport, because when this originally aired in uh, in Germany? Or was mm-hmm. it East Germany or mm-hmm. West Germany? I can't remember. The one that was controlled by the communists? So yeah, East, East Germany. Germany. Oh my god. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. This is an amazing day. story. So... They thought this was way too sexy to be on TV. <laughs> this episode? This episode. Oh, yes. And the whole idea of Ponfar was deeply distasteful. So they changed it in translation to the Weltraumfieber, which is essentially he got space fever. <laughs> and McCoy dopes him up. And most of, like, the fighting and Jim dying is just a hallucination he's having. Mm-hmm. And the dub, the dub dialogue basically took out the whole, you know, Spock is in heat. That <laughs> is incredibly interesting, considering that Ponfar is the thing you don't talk about. Yeah, <laughs> the first rule of Ponfar: <laughs> you don't talk about Ponfar. <laughs> That's fair enough. It is deeply distasteful. I also want to uh, make a little nod of respect towards the moment of fandom history that this episode uh, sparked off. AKA, the, this character is in heat trope. <laughs> oh, fuck or die. Yeah. The fuck or die trope was born this episode. Think, I'm sorry, Pacrine. He's nearly that face at me, but it's true. It's yeah, true. fuck or die is oh, a yeah. trope. Oh, yeah. Aliens, standing one. Aliens have done something to us, so we have to have sex, or one of mm. us is going to die. Somebody's biology is going wacky, so you have to have sex mm-hmm. with me, or I'm going to die. Yeah. Fuck or die is a thing. It's amazing. It's an incredibly powerful, still extremely incredibly powerful trope. Yeah. Your guys' fantasy lives must be very rich and very disturbing. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's the whole point in, um, like, the whole basis of Blood Fever is Bolana Torres and Tom Paris trapped in a cave, and they have to fuck, or she will die. Yeah. I mean, there's another option to work around it, but it's totally... <laughs> Which they like actually... one of them chose not to present it. Yeah. No, no, it just wasn't applicable for a while, but then it was. It's okay, they didn't actually... But anyway... <laughs> Moving... Forward. <laughs> this is a seminal pun intended. 
show after fist bump. Okay. Yes. And then everybody fist bump. Welcome. It beats off other episodes of the same plot line. Oh my god. And is a nice finish for us to come to as we start season two. You're welcome. Are you just making a mental list all day? No, this is, again, that was entirely off the cuff. It's her natural way. I'm very impressed. Off the muff, if you will. No. Yes. I do not accept, (laughs) I do not accept that one. No. You should. Nope. You should. So, we start with perky hero music, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I love, and then Kirk essentially pops up like the Easter Bunny out of the bowels of the ship where he was just casually lubing himself through the (laughs) tubes. I know, there's like no no reason. he's just there. You're the captain of the ship. What are you shimmying down those Maybe he's inspecting things. Jeffrey tubes. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's something down there that he's inspecting. Kirk is a bit of a micromanager. He's also not wearing, like, the Jeffrey's Tubes inspection coverall. Oh, no, he is not. He's just in his uniform. Mm Mm-hmm. No, so McCoy comes up, and we need to talk about Spock. Yeah. Yeah. This is the early 1960s version of we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah. (laughs) And saying that something's a little bit off about Spock. He seems restive or nervous. He's not eating. At this point, I flash back to Emma. I'm like, he's in love. My favorite completely off, I mean. My favorite part of this is Kirk is just like, oh, he's probably fine. (laughs) He just did not care at all. Well, Kirk's response is basically, yeah, but Spock's always pretty weird. (laughs) He's an alien. We cannot understand his alien ways. And I thought it was more like, no, he's always a nerd. No, he's talking about, oh, he's probably just in one of his contemplative faces. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he doesn't care. He's not concerned. No. So Nurse Chapel sashays in and out of my heart. Aww. Oh, It's true. Bearing Vulcan soup. Plumic soup. Sure. Mm-hmm. Plumic at, soup. At which point McCoy becomes the villain of this entire episode by essentially calling out Nurse Chapel's giant Spock-sized crush on Spock in front of her boss. Yeah, that was a dick move. Yeah. I mean, is he like the Alan Rickman of Love Actually? Is that what he's trying to accomplish? Is Spock her Carl? I just had this written down. <gasps> Bones acts like kind of a dick. Spock is her Carl. I don't remember Love Actually. I've only seen it once, so this reference means nothing to me. And I, I would flip Love the Actually. table, Alan Rickman style, at you right now. How can you not? God, guys. Anyway, um, they sort of like, oh, that's so cute, and sent her on her way. It's not cute. It's not. And then about two seconds later, Spock <laughs> throws the soup out of his door. <laughs> he yells at Chapel, and she, she dies out. Her- he says, in a line of I have said myself during my Lady Bloodsport is, <laughs> if I want anything from you, I'll ask for it. <laughs> oh my god, you just listened to the same episode of yeah. this Kevin yeah. that I did? <laughs> lady Bloodsport was amazing. always Bloodsport. Oh lady god. Blood sport. So essentially Spock is on his Lady Bloodsport. And then he mm. notices Bones and Kirk standing there, not to mention the like half dozen other crew that have witnessed this. Pulls himself together and goes, uh, Captain, I'm totally fine, but I need some leave immediately. <laughs> yeah. So we get our theme song with the lady doing her... Okay, yeah, I need to time. stop here for a second. What do you mean, th- first time? The ooze? The, the, these particular ooze only started in the second <laughs> season. Oh, okay. That was probably part of what was different. But yes. to pause here and say, 
I am now watching a remastered version. Oh. This was the first time I had seen the remastered credits. <laughs> Isn't it much better? The ship on a string is gone. They CGI'd that bitch. Uh, yes, that's what digitally remastering is. It looks weird. It moves so fast. <laughs> I think that's the weirdest part for me is it like zips across the screen. You're like, oh, slow down. Slow down. You got plenty of time. I, I mean, I kind of enjoy the charm of the model on a string being like whooshed around. To be fair, in a fair number of even the remastered scenes, it's still the model. They've just cleaned it up a whole bunch. A whole, a whole bunch by just like, we'll clean it up by digitally replacing the entire thing. Usually not because actually, I mean, until well, this was remastered in what, the, the mid-aughts? Um, and in a lot of cases, still, the model looks better because there's more detail and it's not as obvious, but they definitely CG'd the crap of the background. I like the stars, honestly. The it's weird seeing it in 3D, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is. that's what it is. I think that's throwing yeah. me off is the, the three-dimensional. The dimensionality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Space is not flat. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a disappointment. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've joined us in remastered land. Yeah. yeah everything, pretty goes, everything pops so much. I'm, I still wish I'd kind of seen the... Um, the carpet monster cave in digitally remastered because mm. you guys kept talking about how the pretty colors, it was mainly yeah I don't know if I would call the carpet monster which I think I described it didn't as look pizza mm. barf on a rug yeah, yeah it but didn't, no but you the, were just talking about the cave looking yeah, nice the caves the caves looked pretty cool the monster itself was pretty much the same yeah. There's only so much you can do. I do want to note, though, that there are so many ladies in the first 30 seconds in this episode. You really notice it in the last dozen of them. In the last couple of episodes that there are just lady background players. Hmm. No, carry on. (laughs) So Spock is still in a huff, Mm -hmm. a tiff. Yeah. Saying that it's indignified for a woman to play servant to a man who isn't hers. I can't tell if that's, like, really douchey or he's kind of, like, I don't know, something about not being sexist about having ladies doing shit for him. I can't tell. Given the language that we get about heterosexual Vulcan relationships, the sort of quote ownership, unquote, seems to go both ways. But everything that we've ever seen about Vulcan relationships is that the lady gets to make the decisions. So I'm not really sure. I don't know. It came off to me watching this episode is that they were fairly rigid and traditional gender yeah. roles. Only, but only in this one particular aspect. Because, I don't know, I, I think this particular conversation with Kirk is more sort of like, she's embarrassing herself, please make her stop. Because it's really humiliating for everyone involved kind of thing. I think for me, it's the the language place servant. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the line, or even if I'm entirely sure what he means by it. Well, that's the thing, because there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in this episode that didn't make it into the final draft that had to do with a lot of characters actually speaking in Vulcan. Yes. Um, especially during the ceremony. A lot of that was taken out. Like, of a Spock also using more... Vulcan words to describe what's happening than he actually ends up doing in the released episode. So I'm always not quite sure because the conceit at this point is not explicitly that the Universal Translator is a thing. Like later we get this sort of vague, sideways, backhanded explanation that the words that we hear aren't necessarily the words that are being said. But it's not really developed at this point, so I don't know. I don't think that would have helped with our understanding of gender dynamics. No, I think that was just that it was the 1960s, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, 
I don't like how Chapel acts. No, it's very embarrassing. I, to, yeah. If he gave her even a glimmer of hope, I would be willing to let it go. But it's never going to happen, Chapel. Move on. There are plenty of nice butts on that ship. <laughs> Feel free to avail yourself of one, two, or more. You're Michelle Barrett. Exactly. You could have anyone on this ship. Including the executive Except producer. Poor <laughs> Kirk. So, Kirk and Spock. Kirk is attempting to have a heart-to-heart with Spock. Yeah. But it is heart-to-brick-wall. Yeah. Yeah. That he keeps throwing himself up against. Like, you never take leave. Why do you want to go? And Spock says, I have to go. But tell me why. Sure. Which is not an unreasonable request. Being that he is the captain of a starship and they'd have to take a detour in space. Also, to go drop you and off? I can't believe I'm the one bringing this up this time, but Starfleet HR. Starfleet HR. Surely at some point during his induction into Starfleet, someone went, okay, any medical conditions that might affect your ability to perform your duties? I just find it difficult that in the hundreds of years that human beings and Vulcans have been interacting, no one was like, geez, dear diary. Well, okay, up at, I can I can shed some light on this because I've okay. seen Enterprise. So um, the early years of the Vulcan-human relationship were not super friendly. Angels. Yeah, like the Vulcans were there and they were really bitchy about it and they kind of kept to themselves. So like mm-hmm. if something like this happened, you probably wouldn't notice that, you know, you know, this particular Vulcan officer was gone for six months or whatever because he had to fly home. Um, and it, it was, if it's something that they don't talk about, like, as a culture, like, even to themselves, like, even among themselves, really, it's kind of, I feel like you get an awkward sex talk at, like, 17 and that's it. Um, it, it would be not, not included in their medical data or included in the cultural files. So I can completely buy that. And so at this point... Spock is the first Vulcan to have gone all the way through Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm by retconning through Enterprise, the second Vulcan to participate in Starfleet. And so the first is to Paul, and her doctor was an alien who was very discreet, who would have been very discreet about this kind of stuff. Because um, she goes through Ponfar once because she is, like, infected with some kind of microbe that, like, triggers some sort of biological process. Um, but, like, her doctor does everything he possibly can to keep that on the DL. It just seems interestingly illogical to not tell your doctor about your medical condition. No, I get it. I get it. If we think about the sexual repression of the old old time, where people Mm. would show up to their wedding night with no idea of what was going where. Bones even says it in this episode. He says, it's very Victorian. No, the doctor says it in the Enterprise, the the Voyager episode (laughs) I just watched. Sorry. (laughs) The, The doctor says to, it's either Tuvok or Vorik. You ha- and the Vulcans have a remarkably Victorian attitude towards sex. So, like, and we're looking... Yeah, so, I mean, that's well, the best it, way it, to it look is, at it. It's a paradox. It is illogical. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess the whole process is illogical as yeah. described. So, I completely buy that they wouldn't know about... Like, as a general piece of knowledge, you wouldn't know about this at all. Unfortunately, not apparently the case by the time TNG rolls around. So, question then. Is the theme of this episode that sexual repression leads to death... Um, what are, what is this episode saying? I d- mm, that's a I good think question. That's definitely one of the things. I think it's talking about somewhat about. For me, it's a lot about the Vulcan control, and some sometimes there are things that are just out of your control. Like this is Vulcans discipline themselves, and they meditate, and they control their emotions 
And then this is one thing where they have absolutely no choice. They cannot choose to control or not control. This This is is something that happens to them. The release valve. Yeah. And they're forced, they're forced, no matter how they feel, no matter what they're doing, no matter where they are, they are forced to give in to emotion. So we're all at the mercy of our biology. Could be, yes. I don't know. Because the idea, a lot of the, the Spock versus... Well, I guess versus Bones and Kirk, because the balance of them is very much a tripod shape. Is that, well, that, that balance is what actually makes us civilized. That, that, that it's both our, our aggressive and violent natures, as well as our logical and sensible and sensitive natures, that makes us a whole sentient being. Thing. I mean, we get that a lot with, like, in, with Kirk in previous episodes. Yeah, as I say, things we've seen before when Kirk is, like, split up into... Yeah, and that theme's been repeated over and over and over again, that you need balance to be a person. And we get this glimpse of the fact that Vulcans are actually not that balanced. They are hard locked down in one direction almost all the time, except when their biology makes it impossible. I also think Spock says that he thought that he wasn't going to go through Ponfar. I assume because he's, he's half human. human. Yeah. 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 Um, I was actually doing some research. I I actually showed up prepared for this. And there's apparently he, you find out in one of the movies that he went through a premature Ponfar. Uh, Cream. (laughs) A premature Ponfar when he was much, much younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so this would be his like second. Yeah. But like that was younger than was normal. Yeah. Do they go through multiple Ponfars? Yes. Seven years. Yes. Once every seven years or so. How did they populate their planet? That's crazy. Also something that I've read in, oh. it's actually in the Memory Alpha, and there's a gory quote from my girl DC, who says <laughs> that the every seven years thing has been completely misconstrued by a lot of people, and they don't just have sex like once every seven years. Every seven years, they have the biological urge and they go through the thing, but they're completely capable of affection and love and sex for the rest of the time as well. They can still choose to do all of that. But it's the every seven years when they're forced to... Just to make sure. ...the biological process. They have crazy sex every seven years. Yeah. And the yes. rest of the time, it's fairly vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> they very logical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get all your kinks out yes. in one go. Um, there is also... I mean, and they go through this in Enterprise as well, where T'Pol definitely bangs someone when she's not having... She's not doing Ponfar. Yeah. Doing Ponfar, so having Ponfar... Hmm? So does Vork. Vor- no, Vork. You only see Vork during Ponfar when he's definitely trying to bang someone. Well, there's at least two instances I can think of of someone pretty persuasively attempting to bang him. And Vork? it sort of no, fades I think- off. I don't think so. Vork's actually not in that many episodes. Mm. I know there's somebody who really wants to bang Tuvok at one point. It's, oh, I think it's, I yeah, think that Lord, was really awkward. I think Lori Petty. Petty. Yeah, Lori yeah. Petty tries to bang Tuvok. I don't remember. That episode was so excruciating. Lori Petty, get your life choices in order. <laughs> so, yeah, Kirk is trying to have this really deep heart-to-heart, like, share with me, share, share, share. And Spock's like, I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I just can't. To the background of some super sexy guitar music. <laughs> oh, like, and I want to bring guitar. up the other symbolic uh, relationship in this in is that is the Kirk and Spock thing. There's a lot of extensive essays written about what the end of the battle during the fight actually represents. Are you talking about erotic asphyxiation? Among other things, yes. Oh. Oh. No, but the, that the idea that, that the whole point of Ponfar is to reach sexual completion, and he does, symbolically, oh. but it's with Kirk. Oh! Mm-hmm. Better than Scone, I guess. 
Like, I did not look like a fun time. No. Just saying to ping. Pring. To pring. pring. Pringles. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's get to yes. Vulcan first. So, yes. yes. But we're trying to. Kirk says, fine, we'll go to Vulcan. And we see... Yep. Chekhov! <gasps> Chekhov! I actually put a little smiley face next to Chekhov in my nose. I was so happy to see him. All caps and exclamation points, Wearing, yes. Yeah, his shaggiest wig. His Hello, little, Pavel Chekhov. His yes. shaggiest monkey's wig. Yeah. Yep. And we get the first establishment that he is kind of like your comic relief. Him and Sulu are your They're comic so relief. They're so so glad to see them both at the helm. They mm-hmm. play so well they off do, of each other. They do. I really like the bit that we're going to come to, but I'm talking about it now, where Chekhov's like, are we going back to Vulcan? So it was like, you should plot a course just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the next 45 minutes are essentially, are we going to Vulcan? No, we're going to Vulcan. No, we're going to Vulcan. No, 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 no. Wasting so much space fuel. <laughs> so now we get introduced to the time conflict in the episode, which is that they are on their way to Altair 6, where some president is getting... Presidented. Crowned. What What do presidents get? Inaugurated. Inaugurated. There we go. There you go. Um, and that this is some big important political thing because the area has been in unrest or something and the Enterprise going is supposed to be some big symbolic thing. And Because they were at war. They were at war. And so the star- they kind of like got their act together and so yep. Starfleet is bringing like three of its shiniest ships yep. and they're all going to stand there with their bitchiest brooches. Yep. <laughs> And apparently that's going to make it Yeah. And they're like, sorry, the schedule's been pushed up. You can't go to Vulcan. You have to show up at Altair at 6 on time. And so, stupid conflict. But we do get another shot of Kirk's quarters, which I always like. Where he's lying awake, staring at the ceiling, (laughs) worrying about Spock. I was going to ask if he was taking a nap. (laughs) He could nap, but he seems to be just worrying. Yeah. And he has the ugliest red ball decoration behind his head. I don't know who his interior decorator is, but they need to fire themselves. (laughs) Oh, dear. And so he's like, no, we, we have, I, he's my friend. I got to do. So he calls up Chekhov and Chekhov says, oh, no, we're already going to Balkan. And Kirk's like, are we now? <laughs> I would like to say that this is the second, third time the Spock is mutiny. <laughs> For the best officer in the fleet, he gets an awful lot of mutiny. But he's so good at it. I mean, well, not in this case, because uh, Kirk hunts him down. He got caught pretty fast. Yeah. Well, apparently he doesn't remember doing it, because Kirk sort of hunts him down in a turbo lift, and he's like, so uh, apparently you changed our course? And Spock's like, oh, if you say so. And Kirk is all angry arms akimbo, which I love. (laughs) Just giving him the angriest mom stare that ever was. He does the thing again. He's done it a couple of times before. His hands are very high on his hips. Oh my god. But it's not working because Spock has no idea that he has done this thing. He's like, you should probably take me off duty. No, he says, lock me up and not in a sexy way. No, wait, in a sexy way. (laughs) As it turns out. Yeah. And Kirk's like, yeah, no, go to sickbay. Where he kind of... Very sensible. ...sautés in sickbay where security Sautés. is the laxest. <laughs> yeah. He does because he's simmering because he's so hot and bothered inside. I think this I, this made me laugh because Spock walks in and Moss is like, okay, Kirk told me you were coming. Lie down. We're all ready for you. And Spock's like, yeah, I said I'd come to sickbay and now I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. So he starts acting like Kirk. Yeah, and then Bones basically browbeats him into an exam. Uh, no, he straps him down <laughs> and then puts his and hands all table. over him. And then McCoy comes back to Kirk and says, uh, no, he has to go to Vulcan or he will yeah. die. Yeah. And at this point, if I had not known what the episode was like, like, oh, there's some kind of weird disease infecting everyone that you have to go to Vulcan and then the bacteria will kill you. Hmm. 
But Kirk would very much like an answer to this. He's basically, I don't know, but he's definitely going to die. Yeah. The way that they describe it, there's an imbalance of bodily functions. (laughs) Which bodily functions? I'll leave it up to your imagination. (laughs) He's got adrenaline pumping, pumping, pumping through his veins. And he... You remember the strangest lines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these are the ones I write down for myself. (laughs) By late night Kirk Spock Vic. <laughs> that he's under like physical and emotional pressure building. building. So basically he's getting all of these medical indicators of incredible stress, but he doesn't know what's causing them. When we get to later series, it's described as like neurochemical imbalances yeah. and that there's different hormones and junk firing yeah. off in We've got a ways. much more comprehensive list of the imaginary brain chemicals at, at later on. It, like like with the betazoids, they, they know exactly which chemicals cause telepathy, which delights me in a ridiculous yeah. way. So Kirk storms into Spock's office where he appears to be looking at child porn. What? Yeah, it's a, it is actually a got childhood a f- picture of to Pring. Yes. But when I saw it, I'm like, who is that tiny Vulcan child and what are you doing <laughs> looking at her on your computer? Which he immediately shuts down when Kirk comes into the room. Oh, I didn't even know I that. made one assumption. Oh, <laughs> you immediately went to really? child porn. Yes. Wow, Karina. Well, he's dark. just like That's staring at it lovingly. This is like, not the darkest time. Was it lovingly? I thought it was like kind of concernedly. I think the well, best... as it turns out... The best part of Nimoy's acting is that essentially you can throw whatever emotion you yep. want on his face when he's probably just thinking about Pringles. <laughs> Oh. And so again, he attempts his heart to heart. He, it's like, so now I have this evidence, but I don't know what it means. He cracks open his ribs, <laughs> reaches into his still beating heart, and offers it up to his bro. You've been called. Slaps it yeah. down on the floor where it bounces a couple of times, sputtering blood all over the office. Yeah. Okay, we have to stop here. Because what the hell is happening with the decor in Spock's quarters? Let us take a moment. So in the crazy bonkers, in the back there is what I can only describe as the the lion statue with the flashing light and some kind of like, it's like an egg. It's it's like like incense or something coming out of it later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's all like red velvet. There's like red curtains. Curtains, Like red velvet curtains. Like, um, Like Twin Peaks style deep red curtain. There's also this little sort of um, Vulcan-esque thing over like the edge of his bed, which actually looks very much like weird Vulcan robes. Not as hilarious as they get later on. He's got a lot of knives and yes. velvet. And the knives are like suspended from the ceiling and are yeah. just kind of like dangling. Yes, This was like the most bizarre set, set decoration I've ever seen in my life. Right, yeah. I think this is really the first time we've seen the inside of his quarters properly. Okay, so the art historian and me. <laughs> do you, do you, have you guys ever seen the painting of the nightmare? Yes. You know what the curtains represent? Like lady bits? Yes. Oh! That's what I thought we were going for. So oh dear. Red, soft, velvet curtains. And then, <laughs> and then knives. And then knives. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh, this episode. Uh, art history, finally coming in handy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, student loans. So Kirk is still really upset that Spock won't explain this to me. You're going to call the best first officer in the fleet by bones. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to lose that. I want to know why. And Spock basically cracks at this point. Which is glorious. And he's like, and we have, oh, a really... He starts to describe it. He's intensely private. It's not spoken of to outsiders. Except those who've been involved. 
I'm dying to know what the hell that means. Uh, well, since Spock is half human, I think his mother probably went through shit oh, like this. Yeah. Oh. See, I was thinking of more like a, yeah, okay. Um, there is an episode, going back to Enterprise, because this is where this stuff comes up, there is um, actually an alternate universe episode where T'Pol is sort of blackmailing Trip or whatever. He's blackmailing her because he was there for her during her ponfar. When you say there for her. They banged it out. <laughs> So all of this could have been solved by a really catchy musical number, but instead Spock tries to talk it out. He says uh-huh. it's about reproduction. Kirk looks like every father when the <laughs> comes in for the talk. No, no need to be embarrassed. He said embarrassedly. Birds and the bees. <laughs> Bless you, Spock's like no. If the birds were ripping apart the bees and the bees were stinging their eyes out, then yes, yes. So, it, th- this is tough, and I like the idea that, like, they're profoundly logic people, and they're ripped apart by Pomfar. Yeah. Yes, their logic is ripped from us. Yes, and it's how they choose, and he's like, how do you think we chose mates? I think most <laughs> of us imagine it's done quite logically. <laughs> Which, no. <laughs> I would actually kind of think that they did some kind of pu- computer program, and, like... I assume that's how they pick them when they betrothed them as children. Why did they betroth them as six-year-olds? I think, okay, um, there's going to be... Okay, here's just my theories based on sort of the stuff I know, is that a lot of it has to do, firstly, with family relationships. So right. you're going to be mm-hmm. bonded to somebody whose family you're close to or you would like to be close to or is somehow socially advantageous, something like that. Um, there's um, Vulcan marriages involve an emotional, like, emotional mental bond as well. So that starts when they're children and they're sort of given an awareness of each other. Um, and then I think also in terms of the fact that they go through Ponfar and they will go through it maybe quite unexpectedly for the first time, having a fiance in the wings. Yeah. And like, this is probably what causes a lot of people to get married. He also describes it as having their minds locked together when they were children. He says it's, um, less than marriage, but more than betrothal. Yeah. And I think, and I think that that's so that when you do go through Ponfar, that's the person you lock on, not some random passerby. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's part safety of that first, kids. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think it's. I think based on what we know of like Vulcan biology and how their customs have evolved and their society has evolved, it makes sense. Mm. It's very practical. It is very. It's extremely practical, and that we do see from this episode, there are ways out of it, and we also see oh, yeah. from like um, from Enterprise again because I watched the episode because it has to do with it. Is um, I think it's in season one, episode eight you find out that T'Pol is supposed to be getting married next week. Oh. And she's like, I postponed the wedding and his family's pissed. And so she's talking to Trip, and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, it doesn't matter what I want to do. It's our families. And he's like, well, obviously it matters. So anyway, but there's a whole thing. So she actually breaks the engagement and she's able to do that. Like it, nobody's happy about it, but she can't do it. And you see also here in this situation with um, T'Pring, she knows how to get the hell out of this marriage. Oh, she has she her plan. She is well. locked down. Yeah. Yeah. So Spock makes a bunch of really awkward animal analogies. It's great, though, because Kirk spends the entire time imagining tiny Spock babies. <laughs> he compares it to a bunch of things, but mainly to a salmon who must go back to the stream where they're born. And Kirk's like, but you're not a fish, Mr. Spock. <laughs> That was a really good analogy. I thought it was great because it, it meant that we got the succession of lines, but you're not a fish, Mr. Spock. No, nor am I a man. <laughs> so he says, I have to go home, take a wife, or die. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And a million tropes were born. Yes. So Kirk, uh, Spock slumps down in a chair. Kirk immediately goes over and shoves his junk in his face. <laughs> to Vulcan! <laughs> yeah. So he calls an admiral. And, uh... This is where Chekhov plans a new course to Vulcan. Yeah. Just in case. Just in Won't case. last, because Spock is in his quarters aggressively playing the harp. <laughs> and crushing the radio. He destroys the computer with his fist. He beats down that computer. Yeah. And the Admiral and Kirk, the I Admiral think- is like, so you want to change course, but you won't tell me why. I would like to believe that both of those things are now euphemisms for masturbation, aggressively playing the harp. <laughs> <laughs> And pounding the computer. <laughs> oh, that one's uh, gross. Yeah, so, yeah, the bleachest, bleachiest blonde admiral oh, shows yeah. up and says, no, for friendship and strength, you have to definitely go to that planet. Yeah. Kirk's like, but it's really important. And here I wrote, surely they had privacy laws in the 23rd century, but apparently not. No. This is where HR would come in handy. Wouldn't it? And mm. Kirk decides... He's my friend. I owe him my life. Isn't that worth a career? Oh! oh so beautiful. <laughs> Again, I just wanted to point out, you guys have a... What's the little pod ships called? Shuttlecraft? Shuttlecraft. Yeah, yeah. you could have shoved him in a shuttlecraft. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Vulcan's that way. Have fun. Yes. Vulcan's to the left. Starship <laughs> to the right. So Spock has basically thrown himself on his bed and is salt napping at this point. He has... If I may say, like, the murderiest sex murderer <laughs> that ever was? Yeah. Like, if if you were on a date and you went home to that guy's house and you're like, oh, that's an awful lot of red velvet and an awful lot of knives hanging from your ceiling. <laughs> yeah. The, over your bed. <laughs> yeah. The decor in his quarters was extremely distracting. Yes. Also, he has a super cheapy mask of Agamemnon, like, on display. <laughs> yeah. Just for fun. Um, Chapel goes to check on him again and perv on him a little bit. Chapel should stay Fortunately, far turns away. to leave before it gets weird. Oh, it got weird. I actually didn't mind this bit because Spock has calmed the fuck down. No, he is not. He is trying to sexually manipulate her. No, I didn't think it was that at all. It was him trying to not be sexual at all at this point. And he asks for more soup. Your flirting is not my flirting. I didn't think it was flirting at all. Oh, yeah. He's like, I thought it was like, look, it's not going to work. No, it was like, oh, baby, your face is all wet. She's like, oh, my name's Christine. He's like, mmm, go make me some soup. Oh, I'd be very glad to do that. Crane's out of her mind. I definitely am not. Spock is making a move. (laughs) A move. Absolutely did not read it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) After she brings him the soup, they have sex. Oh, no, absolutely not. Oh, yes, they do. No, oh, no, certainly he's not. He's not in his right mind. He bangs everything that moves. No. He definitely nope. had sex with Chapel. Only the that. one mate would work. No. No, his dick will work in anything. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. No. Another 50% no. will live or die by that, but definitely within the text, That's they not had how sex. Far works. No, they did not. They 100% did. How the hell did you get that out of this scene? Okay. She was sad that he was sick. And she no. was saying goodbye to him because she found out he was going to have to go back to Vulcan and get married. Bullshit. One last bang before you're dead. No. She shows up. She's sad at him. He's all, like, in control of the situation. Like, mmm. But he's not regular Spock. 
He's pond far as fuck. He's sexy as fuck. I read that as him being in a lull. Oh no! Oh no! We are going to disagree yeah. wildly on oh, this point. That's really not how pond far works. You lock on the one person, and no one else is acceptable. He's just horny. He no. definitely mm-hmm. had sex with Chapel. Mm-hmm. No, no. There's emotional. Yoded. There's emotional and mental bonds involved in Vulcan mating and that are just... locked in as children, apparently. Which no. is why he has to go back to Vulcan. If he could have just banged anybody, they wouldn't have had to go back to Vulcan. No, anyway, I think he has to go back to Vulcan. So to, like, they get to Vulcan, and Spock is, I guess they're heading to the transporter room, and he's in a turbo lift with Kirk and Bones, and he's like, so, um, I might go nuts. Want to come down with me? No, he, it's a it's a beautiful moment. It was very it's nice. lovely. I do like this moment a lot, he's because this is the- closest friends to well, come with asking us. his closest friend, and, and also McCoy, <laughs> which he says sort of at the wall, like he doesn't want to make eye contact. Yeah. Less Bones think that he likes him. And they they beam down together to a great set, amazing so set, a beautiful set. And I want to note that even the pre remastered version of this is still pretty goddamn amazing. Oh, we went too far. We missed where Tapring comes and talks to him on the view screen because they call Central Command. Oh, that's right. That's right. And Central Command's like, "Welcome home. We're ready for your banging. Here's your wife." Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and they have this little formal exchange. Oh, I love this. This is some of my favorite parts of this whole thing is all the formal phrases that you have for this. And so to Pring says to, to Spock, parted from me and never parted, never and always touching. And which touched. is kind of a sideways reference to something we don't see yet, but is later very canonical, which is the weird Vulcan kiss. Yeah, the Vulcan finger, Vulcan married finger touch. Yeah. Vulcan fingering. Right. <laughs> You make it sound so dirty. Uh, they're touch telepaths. That's why they do it like that. Uh-huh. So Spock's like, oh yeah, that's Dupreen, my wife. At which point we get everyone's just like, best <laughs> double take. <laughs> it's like um, a Parks and Rec, everybody looks into the camera sort of moment. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It is so good. So anyways, uh, Vulcan is an amazingly designed planet. It it's is. hot. It's red. It's Dusty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Vulcan. It's, it's parched. Ooh, the air is thin. Apparently, it yearns for release. Oh my god! It's kind of like Spock's sex life. <laughs> the landscape as metaphor for his emotions. God damn. <laughs> There's a little bit on the memory alpha with the set designer being like, oh my god, this was the best thing I ever made! Which is true, because it's incredible looking. It's beautiful. Even the non-remastered version of this looks incredible. In the remastered version, you get sort of a helicopter shot, which I actually think might be stolen from um, one of the later movies, where, um, because we get a helicopter shot of one of these sort of temple things later on when um, Spock's consciousness is trapped in Bones' head. Oh. It looks just like this. I mean, it's probably just another similarly constructed one, but it looks like the very same shot. Um, There's the, so much cleverness involved yeah. with making Vulcans and making Vulcan a desert planet. Yeah. In that resources are so scarce that excess emotion, illogical thinking would get you killed very, very oh, yeah. fast. Oh, yeah. So really good, um, I guess, alien development, planet mm-hmm, development. Yeah. When you see Vulcan, it makes sense as to why they are yeah. the way they are. I know, and especially it's like, because especially when you find out more, like, especially with Tuvok as a main character in mm-hmm. Voyager, you find so much more about growing up on Vulcan and life on Vulcan, and, like, they send their youth out through, like, death marches through the, the, the desert to prove themselves, and mm-hmm. there's, like, making treks up massive mountains to, like, very low atmosphere and living up there for three years, like, a month. And it's just, it's... 
it's like they're they're using their planet to challenge themselves. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's I love everything about Vulcan and Vulcans. So just the, having a moment. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I, I can't remember um exactly what he describes, whether this is the Kumat Kalafi. I don't remember if that's the the name for the site or for the ceremony. It's the ceremony. The ceremony. Okay. The name of the site is the Colosseum of Sex. It's his, well, it's not just that though, because he's describing like where they are. It's his. It's his family's land. It's his family's Spock Coliseum. family. Well, they don't use it just for that though, because they also. It's meant to be like where they're getting married, but it's where they do all their ceremonies. It's their Colosseum of Sex. In this case, yeah, yeah. So their you family get, Colosseum. You get yeah. the impression that th- this is an unusual way of resolving this particular sort of conflict. I don't see why. Um, no. They came prepared for a fight. Well, of course they do, but Vulcans are logical. They were prepared for all eventualities. I think everybody except for Spock and crew walking into the situation knew there was going to be a fight. Oh, well, to be fair, Spock was in space. was not uh, around. Spock has a psychic run. connection with this lady, which apparently he turned that spigot off. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> The land has been in his family for 2,000 years. Yeah. Uh, Bones makes a little, now I understand what hottest Vulcan means, which is a nice little touch, I thought. Mm-hmm. We're definitely going to start using that in Hot as Vulcan. Our Damn regular, right. absolutely. Yes. Vancouver is going to be as hot as Vulcan this summer. Oh yeah, totally Jean Claude Van Damme is hot as Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> so again, kudos to the set director. They have this amazing jade gong. Yeah. Yep. Um, they have Which stands out like crazy because the sky is red. Yes, yes. They have two guys with their scrabble eyes. Sure, it's mm-hmm. going to be different every time. <laughs> So they talk a little bit about the history. There's lots of gonging that goes in. And then we get a parade! Yeah. Before the parade. Well, this is also like, this is where you find out that Spock and Deprang are supposed to be emotionally bonded as well. Mostly, and they're supposed to be able to feel each other's thoughts. Mm. There's a lot of distance. A lot of distance. Apparently. There is a jade hammer to go with that jade gong. And then you hear the bells. And the wedding party arrives. (laughs) This is an awkward wedding party, to be sure. It's a very awkward wedding party, but it includes T'Pau. 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 Which Kirk fangirls a little bit. Oh, no. He fangirls a lot of it. A big bit, She comes in and he's like, Bones, Bones, Bones. That's (laughs) T'Pau. McCoy's like, I'm not a simple country doctor. I don't know nothing (laughs) And Kirk, like, reads out all of her famous politician's stats. He's like, the only person to ever turn down a seat on the Federation Council officiating at Spock's wedding? Bones is like, never mentioned his family was this important. Spock's family is very important. So we get a a parade of guards, one of whom is wearing what I can only describe as a Batman's Bane level of mouth guard. <laughs> that was very odd. Yeah. Uh, including some amazing helmets. Yep. And some bitching sashes in green and fuchsia. Yes. Vulcans really know how to do a sash. They do, and they have, they brought extra sashes Mm -hmm. just in case. Sashes for everyone! Yeah. Sashes for all. Um, and Spock kneels in front of T'Pau, like you do. I mean, sure. Sure, her outfit here was kind of amazing. She had this great purple robe on with, like, sort of sheer sleeves. Yeah. And her hairpiece was, like, white and black braids over her entire head like a giant arch. It was impressive. I love Vulcan clothes. They're oh, me amazing. Too. Yep. I mean, they, they don't quite come into their own for a little bit, but when we meet um, Spock's parents the first time, we get the first hint of what remains to be Vulcan fashion throughout the ages. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. There's some good stuff in Vulcans. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, to Pow's like, hey, Spock, um, who are these assholes? I see their ears are not pointy. Yeah. And he says, these are my friends. Yeah. It is permitted. Yeah. She's not totally thrilled by Kirk, but then he postures a little bit and she's like, hmm, all right. Yes. Yeah. And prostrates himself. Yes. T'Pau needs some action as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They do a lot more chanting. And we have the the formal old Vulcan thing where they speak in these and thous, which I love also. Mm-hmm. And talk about the kind of timelessness of this ritual. It comes down to us from the beginning. This is the Vulcan heart. This is the Vulcan soul. This is our way. Jingle, jingle. Also, yes. to the tambourines. Also, because, you know, I just wanted to check to make sure T'Pol does get married in an episode of uh, original of uh, Enterprise. So her, her fiancé does bang a gong three times. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes in and they kneel down in front of a Vulcan priest. And he says, this comes down to us from the beginning. Oh, wow. This is the Vulcan heart. This is the Vulcan soul. This is our way. so consistent. Yeah. I know. It like was this. really great. And it's it excellent. Was, and it was like, it was, um, that wedding ceremony was, it was smaller and there was less weapons because, <laughs> that, which is why I think like, I think coming into this, like, to like to Pring knew she was going to challenge. To Pow knew she was going to challenge as well. Which is why all these weapons showed up. You don't show up to a wedding usually with an arsenal unless you're going to fight with. Well, it. actually, yeah. I mean, I kind of figured the weapons were the weapons the guards were carrying. I mean, not like the fancy special wrapped up for the combatants' weapons because those were different weapons. Yeah, was that like it was sort of a, a show of how important the families involved were. Like they had their own retinues, but. I mean, you have to figure that everybody who was on Vulcan already had, you know, witnessed T'Pring sort of cozying up to this other guy while Spock was off, you know, gallivanting around through the galaxy. So yeah, Spock arrives at a little bit of a disadvantage. I don't think it would come as a surprise to anyone that she wasn't super into Spock, because he goes to bang that gong. She strolls over in her go-go boots and her silver miniskirt and is like, no thanks. <laughs> her extremely dignified silver miniskirt. Oh, so amazing. She, and she's like, no. She's like, I, I brought a guy. Yeah, <laughs> I brought a couple of guys. Uh-huh. So thanks, but no thanks. I would like you to battle. Blood fever, blood, blood fever. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So she's like, okay, well, now you have to fight for me. And T'Pau was like, it is her right. Yeah. Fair. See, this is like, this is the thing why, like, there's way, there's ways out of this. Yeah. <laughs> not very easy ways, Although, though. I believe one of the other ways is just going, yeah, so I'm just not that into you. I'm going to marry this other guy. And the other party going, oh, okay. But not for T'Pring. So, they're going to do the Califim. Califé. Sure. Califé. Close. And she will become the property of the victor. Which, again, leads me back to my previous discussion that I think Vulcans have very traditional gender roles. Well, I also think this is a very traditional ceremony. And if you think of, like, Western, very, very traditional ceremonies, brides promise to obey their husbands in a lot of religious ceremonies. doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen. That's just the traditional way of doing it. Some people like that. These guys, maybe they wanted the traditional thing. You also get the impression that they are very old and important families who would probably want the fancy traditional words mm. at their 
very business-like wedding ceremonies. <laughs> They're blood sport. They're blood sport. <laughs> yeah, these are the two options when you're a Vulcan. Ruthlessly business-like or blood sport. I never get the impression that Vulcans are very progressive. That is my own, well, that is very... my own fish to fry that we will deal with mm. later. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, okay, so her champ, she's going to choose a champion. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't feel like fighting for herself. I mean, no, she, she doesn't she fight for herself. herself. Her deal is that she gets to choose who fights for yeah. her. And yep. whoever wins um, gets to own her. And so she kind of takes a look around the room, does a quick sachet. Her, like, boy on the side scone is all like, yeah, already I've been training, honey. I'm here for you. What is his actual name? Ston. Ston. Okay. Scone. Whatever. So she, like, trails past him going, Kirk. What? <laughs> I love her. This is like, she's a, a, a bitch with a plan. Oh. She's a stone cold bitch. She's a stone cold bitch with an understanding of game theory. Yeah. So, I, so this cool. is one of the reasons yeah. I love her so much. Yeah. It's like, she walked in there, was like, I know what I want. I know how I'm getting it. And I, we're doing 800 contingencies for every possible yeah, outcome. We're doing this. Amazing. And Spock's like, Oh, oh no, he doesn't understand. No, he's just a human. His blood does not burn. He is my friend. Mm-hmm. Well, too bad. Also in this section, we get the Vulcan word for the blood fever, which is plaque tau. Sorry, I love that term. <laughs> is the Vulcan word for blood plaque? It might be. Hmm. No wish to further investigate <laughs> So Kirk starts being like, oh yeah, I'm sure it can't be bad. bad. At which point McCoy is the only one with like a wait, single wait. grain of sense to his name. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. Step back, Kirk. You do not understand what's going on. Kirk's like, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, wait, you're fighting to the death. Well, I mean, to be fair, Kirk, before he actually accepts, he says, well, what happens if I decline? And T'Pau's like, well, we'll pick somebody else. Oh, well, I mean... He doesn't think that Spock can win in his altered state against no. Scone. he thinks that if he fights anybody else, he'll get his ass kicked, and Kirk's like, it's a f- I'll knock him out. He's in no condition. And then, you know, whatever. Kirk, It'll be fine. Kirk, I love you. <laughs> oh, Kirk. <laughs> well, I like, I like part of Kirk's reasoning here. He's like, well, I already broke orders to come here. We might as well do this. Yeah, I, again, he plays game theory. He's like, well, the worst that could happen is I would be dead, and then I wouldn't have to face the court-martial. So, <laughs> win, win, win. Um, Not that anything has ever evidenced the fact that he's afraid of court martial. No, but again, like, if you're going to get into this weird alien fight on a coliseum you want of the sex rules before in a you way, said yes. we're like, okay, but no, let's go through this step by step yeah. and ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions in situations you don't understand. That's also, my life lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, I mean, the Vulcans, I would assume, would be cool with explaining the rules to you before you because decide Because no it. outsider has ever seen this because they don't talk about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So really, Vulcans. this is on Kirk in this case. And Bones agrees. And he's, he's basically standing behind everyone with, like, his face and his hands going, why are my friends with such morons? Yes. Also, uh, Kirk's like, how can I back out in front of T'Pau? Yeah! <laughs> T'Pau, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, shut up. T'Pau's watching. <laughs> so they decide to fight to the death with some really sharpened Q-tips. Lurpas. Lurpas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, it's fine, Bones. If I don't get, if I get into trouble, I'll quit. Not listening to Bones so immediately Spock takes a swipe at him, creating what I can only describe as a peekaboo nipple window. Oh my god, that was my favorite part. Was the first funny. blow, cut 
Kirk's shirt open and he's like chest bare. Not enough chest, just his nipples. Yeah. yeah. And in this situation, his bloody nipples. He's bleeding. Which is not sexy. This is actually more blood than we've ever seen on a character in Star Trek before. Very bloody nipples. Very blood. <laughs> Very bloody nipples. Yeah. And oh. they fight to some amazing fight music. Yeah. And about oh. three seconds in, it's like, okay, but this would not be a fair match even if Spock wasn't like super powered over his normal level of super powered by blood fever. It's yeah. Like, Kirk, you fought with him before. It's not like you didn't know this. He's a superman. And also that the air on Vulcan is too thin for yeah. humans. And so McCoy's like, we have to compensate. Yeah, and Bones keeps interrupting. Because he's like, yeah, this is... I mean, he's a human. Spock's a Vulcan. This is already... And to pass the air is the air. <laughs> So I love amazing. her. I love her. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Um, but Bones is like, no, no, I can give him this inject, this extremely convenient injection I happen to have here. But apparently I just had stuck into my yeah. back pocket. Which will, actually, you know what? That makes sense. Bones is going down to a planet where he knows the oxygen level is lower than what they're used to, so he takes things to compensate. That actually does sound like Bones. But that's he, not what it actually is. No, it's not. But I believe that he has it on him regardless. I don't know. Yeah, bullshit. that was bullshit. No, it bullshit. sounds like the kind of paranoid preparations he would make. No, I don't like, know why bullshit. he has he didn't, actually He didn't bring it. a medical kit or anything. He no. shows up like empty-handed and produces uses, like, the most convenient poison well, of all time case, from his pocket. Yes. The, uh, in that case, that kind, that would almost suggest that he has, like, more knowledge of the situation than anybody else does, which doesn't or make sense. that he has hyposprays tucked into his butt. I believe or, that he just carries uh, all of the hyposprays at all times. Or that the writers needed a convenient way to end this. Right. Um, got that. So she stops their Q-tip fight yeah. for mm-hmm. no reason that I can see. Is like, alright, time for the whip sticks. No, they didn't <laughs> stop it because Kirk's blade Snaps in half. Yeah, right? but they could keep fighting. They had oh. the Q-tip ends of it. Well, no, apparently there are important, there are specific stages to this. <laughs> stages to their fight to the death. So just um, like whip sticks now. And Bone says, "I can compensate for Kirk not being used to the air and the elevation and stuff with this convenient hypo spray." And Pal's like, "Fine, give him your little pokey thing. It's fine." Um, they get the whip sticks. Kirk looks at them with an expression of what the fuck am I supposed to do with these yeah. giant long straps with weights at the end. Yeah. And they were amazing. Like, you just, like, whip those yeah. at somebody. And Spock's like, but while Kirk is holding it going, what the fuck do I do with this? Spock's already like, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, hog ties him to yeah. the ground. Murderous mm-hmm. gymnastics ribbons, basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so Spock is much better at these than Kirk, which speaks a lot to his sexual history rather than Kirk's. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, yeah. He chokes Kirk out. Yeah. He chokes, he chokes him. And let me just say, Kirk does not make a handsome strangulation victim. No. <laughs> just saying. But Kirk dies the way he would have wanted to, which is being straddled. <laughs> well, I was going to say having a symbolic orgasm, but yes. Yeah, I was going to say that right. is also accurate. Rising He's on the receiving volume. end of that, so mm-hmm. less so. You know what? That's accurate to my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so everyone stops for a second. T'Pau turns to Bones, who has declared Kirk dead, and says, Well, bad. that's our way. Yep. McCoy walks over to Spock and says, well, you're in charge now. Spock seems to be slowly coming to his sensing, senses, looking at the gymnastic ribbons in his <laughs> yeah. hands, going, what have I done? Although T'Pau does for the first time, we say see this for the first time, it's happened several times over Ken, which is how Vulcans, the only way Vulcans deal with grief, which is to say one very formal phrase and then move on, I grieve with thee. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here is where to bring 
thrown oh down. Spock is like, what the everlasting <laughs> fuck was that? <laughs> and she's like, listen up. You're a legend. I didn't want to be a consort of a legend. I am my own legend. I am tapering, fucker. Yeah. All right, here's the deal. I want to be with Scone. Whatever reason. (laughs) Whatever reason. And I would like to come out on top in every way. Yes. So, if I challenged and Kirk fought and won, that's fine. He ain't gonna marry me, so I'll just hook up with Scone. If you won, you would leave. You would leave. Just like you always do. And I'm still gonna bang Scone. If I didn't challenge you, you were just gonna leave anyways. But this way, I get Everything I want. Yeah. I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> so good. So good. She's like, if I don't, if I didn't challenge, nothing would change. Yeah. So yeah. who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also want to note that throughout this entire speech, she's describing the potential men as her consort, not the other way around, because she is definitely in control of this situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, the thing that I really liked here is when Spock is like, fine, go be with Stan. And he basically turns to Stan and says, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to coach him like, yeah. you'll find that Fancy having Vulcan something language. is not the same thing as wanting that thing. Scon seems fine. Yeah. Yeah. Scon. I think he knows what he's getting into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you had heard that speech, you should know what you're up against. Oh, I yeah. feel like she probably explained this to him beforehand. It's like, no, no, no. Look, this is how it's going to go down. Oh, no, because when Except she, for the part she left out. When she chose Kirk, his face was aghast. Yeah. I mean, Vulcan aghast, but aghast. I think he thought he was going to at least get to fight for her and have some say in the proceedings. No, no, no. no he, he didn't even get that. Honey, that's not how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. No. So Spock beams himself up in total shame and dismay, having killed his friend. He he starts monologuing. He's in sick bay. He's kind of like, oh, yeah. I'm the worst that ever was. I can't believe what I did. Throw me in sick bay. I'm so bad. You should put Scotty in charge. Do this, so this, this, bad. and this. And Kirk, because he's a troll. Yes. Giant troll. Sneaks up behind him and says, don't you think you should ask me about that first? And because he's fine. Spock grabs him by the shoulders. Oh, his face. Spins him around and has the biggest grin on his face and says, Jim! Oh my god. That was great. I cried. I cried. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, he puts back on the veneer of Vulcan logic, but... I do not understand. It's like, yeah, Bones had it under control. So beautiful. And, oh, that moment. We need to take a moment for that moment. Mm -hmm. It's a great It's a good scene. It's a very good moment. Especially since you can see everyone's faces in this. Spock's Kirk's, who is a troll and laughing at him, and Bones in the background, who's like, aw, feelings. And McCoy's like, oh, is there going to be a wedding? Is there going to be a wedding? I like weddings. Is there going to be a wedding? He does like weddings. And Spock is like, eh, no. no. <laughs> Everybody's better off. It's so true. And then there's the quip-off where McCoy's like, was that an emotion? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was obviously an emotion. But we need to take a moment again to acknowledge the decor before we sign off on this episode <laughs> that there is a lizard crocodile with red eyes on the wall. <laughs> like sure. mounted? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's some kind of statuary business. I could not keep my eyes off of it. It was 
crazy. Wow. Um, and then so I really liked how the episode ends, which is they get a call from the bridge and they're like, oh, T'Pau needs you at Vulcan. You're excused from your other mission. No, yeah. You're, they're not in trouble, basically, for like no. changing course against orders. What japes. What T'Pau wants, T'Pau gets. gets. I think she wanted Kirk, though. Mm-hmm. I, I do, do want to know. Uh, sorry, I was gonna say I believe you do get more to pow in Enterprise. Oh, you, you get do. young to pow. Yeah, weird young rebel to pow. Mm-hmm. Um, and to pow appears. She gets mentioned multiple times in Next Gen. She appears once in Voyager, I believe. Really? Yeah, as a hologram, not actual to pow. But oh, okay, yeah. Um, there's a thing I found about because um, a lot of the Vulcan women we meet have names that start with the, the huh? yeah. tip. Yeah, that the idea being that. Chapau is old as balls, like hundreds and hundreds of years old, incredibly famous, incredibly influential. And the the idea that many Vulcan parents apparently named their little girls with a prefix that sounded like Chapau, oh. which is why there's so many tip ladies in Star Trek. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, life lesson to take away from this episode, Kim. Always have a backup plan. <laughs> Even if that backup plan is just drugs. Yeah. Hey, sometimes that works. And, like, everybody had a backup plan. Bones had a backup plan. Uh, yeah. Chapring had several backup plans. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, Kirk did not have a backup plan. Kirk had plan. no plan. No. no, no and plan. he should have Only had a backup feelings. plan. His plan was to nipple his way out of that. <laughs> uh, Ari, life lesson. I don't know. I think there's a sort of a vague underrunning current about how balance is how you achieve victory and, you know, not murdering your best friends with gymnastics ribbons. But, um... I would argue that showing your nipples to them is the only way to victory. (laughs) Show people your nipples and you will win every fight. (laughs) Well, he didn't, though. He lost that fight pretty hard. Well, we could say it was a draw. My life lesson is if you're about to engage in some kind of combat, make very sure of what the rules are and what the end game of it is. Mm -hmm. Is this a fight to the death Hunger Games style? Get that in writing beforehand. Uh, performance of the episode, Kim. Uh, I'm giving... I've got a three-way tie. Ooh, I'm giving way. it to all the Vulcans, Spock, <laughs> T'Pring, and T'Pau. Because right. they were all fabulous. They were fabulous I in just, every sense I love the Vulcans in this episode. And I, it's like, just, they take this so seriously. And that's a first for Star Trek. I'm Not that they don't take it seriously the rest of the time. It's like, but this is the first real, fully formed coherent, like, this is an alien culture for real well, this, this thing is, that we get. For the Vulcans, because yeah. we, had, we had that um, amazing Romulan episode in season yeah. one where you basically stumble into, like, this fully formed culture. Yeah. This is the first time I feel like we ever got a real sense of, like, Vulcan culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's um, just amazing. I'm going to give the performance of the episode to Arlene Martell, who plays Pring because she was a stone-cold badass from start yep. to eyebrow-flexing finish. I was actually yep. going to pick her, too. Um, and also, Arlene Martell originally auditioned to play... Dr. Elizabeth. Dr. Elizabeth Danner in the original in the first episode. But she turned oh. down the role because she, the contact lenses freaked her out, which, fair enough. <laughs> they should, because they were yeah. from the 60s. Yeah. yeah. And then she auditioned to play... Oh, God, I've forgotten. She auditioned to play... Nimble one Pose. other role, but they they kept her back from that one and cast somebody else instead because they had already decided, oh, yeah, she's to pring. All right, so Scone... Uh, the actor's name is Lawrence Montaigne, and he was going to replace Leonard Nimoy. Oh, really? It was between him and Mark Lennard, famous Mark Lennard, 
is that I think in between seasons one and season two, Niwai went into contract disputes with the producer. And so they had the idea that they would, in fact, just replace him. And so in Lawrence Montaigne's contract, it was in there just in case for this role. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? I think it would be really difficult. I would also like to give a tip of the hat to the actress who played to Powell. Because she yeah. was amazing. She was very, very, very good. Um, yeah, it's a great episode, guys. This was a very good episode, and it is such, it's such a foundational oh, episode. Yes. Mm. And so much stuff comes out of this. So much. Yeah. Like, just, it's so good because, and like, and it's not just episodes. It's not just blood fever and it's not just um to it's the whole Vulcan culture. The, uh, yeah, a lot of Vulcan culture, but like also a lot of like fan work and stuff. Like oh, yeah. um there's tons of like novelizations that center around stuff to do with with um uh Ponfar. Like there's um the New Frontier series by Peter David, one of the Vulcan characters, like when the first time you meet her in the in the book series, she's like in Ponfar and she's like in the middle of like this intense thing with her husband that she's just married and they're in the middle of this emotional bond and he dies (gasps) and it's like this unbelievably traumatic thing that starts like follows her for like the rest of her life it's years and years and years before she can love again and that's like one of her plot lines in this is how does a Vulcan come back from that kind of trauma and it's kind of awesome but like it's such a rich piece of like of like a, a like a cultural character development mm-hmm. from which so much That's stuff exactly what it is. It's it's the character development of a culture. Yeah. And this is such a big thing for that. Um there's also the this is the first time we see the Vulcan salute. Yes. And um, oh, live long yeah. and prosper. Yeah. yeah, and live long and prosper. Um and we get the the Vulcan salute was actually invented by Nimoy. Mm-hmm. Which was something that he apparently took from some Jewish ceremony that apparently you're not supposed to look at. I remember saw, saw him talking about this in an interview once. He opened like, his eyes in temple. He opened when his he eyes in temple when he wasn't supposed to. Um, but the actress was it? Oh, I forgot her name again. Celia. Celia Lovsky. Sure. Um, who played Tapau couldn't do it with other hands. So every time you actually see her do it, and I think she does it twice. She's doing. She's sort of arranging it with one hand. She's like like moving her fingers at the right configuration, just out of frame before she lifts her hand. <laughs> My dad taught it to me, but he taught it to me as he learned it as a typing exercise for when he was working on typewriters to stretch his finger muscles. Oh. So yeah, that's why we can all do it with like all three of us are sitting here. We have very limited hands, muscles. and that's one of the reasons we can well, do it is because we do so much typing. Oh, to be fair, I also like you had early childhood training. And yeah, I did have training. <laughs> yeah, but like apparently that's 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 where my dad learned it is before he like he learned it as part of his like finger stretches before taking typewriting lessons. That's yeah. too funny. Yeah. All right, I'd like to uh, take us out on a musical note. Oh. Feel free to join in. Reproduction, reproduction. Come put your pawn in my fall. Reproduction, reproduction. In the back of my car. I don't even like the original. Grease. I've never seen Grease too. Oh my god, guys. <laughs>